0: What are the key things that you talk to your athletes about and, and what can I learn from you in, in that respect?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, we go back to training again and, and, and that's the, 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 the battleground, so to speak, where they mm-hmm. can gain confidence and, and learn to suffer and, and, and or learn to be okay. You know, it's okay to, you want them to be, feel comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Hi, Coach Mike Ritchie here from D3 Multisport. On today's podcast, we're visiting with Coach Brad Sang. Brad has been coaching multiple sports for decades, he's been coaching with D3 for over 10 years. Brad became a professional traffic in his 30s and has a personal best of 855 at the Ironman distance. Brad also coached the CU triathlon team for a decade and won numerous national titles. Obviously, he's been there and he's done that. He has a ton of knowledge to share. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get on to our conversation with Coach Brad. Hey, Coach Mike Ritchie here from D3 Multisport, and I'm with Brad Sang, the um, longtime D3 coach, former professional triathlete, and former CU Buff coach, long uh, winning streak there, of being a national champion. And most importantly, recently, within the last year, Brad has become a dad, and I think that's the most important thing here. Brad, tell me how that's going before we get into the Yeah, thanks, else.
1: Mike. Uh, great to be here chatting with you today. And parenthood is unbelievable, as you know, uh, being a parent. And people always tell you that, oh, you know, you can expect this, you can expect that, or how, how amazing it is. Which, you know, having 13 nieces and nephews, I always had an appreciation of. But until yeah. it's your own kid, your own yeah. child that you're with on a daily basis and seeing that growth and development. Yeah, it is. It's unbelievable. It's an 100%. amazing journey. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. Hey, so Brad, tell me um, how you started—not with triathlon, but I know you did sports before that, soccer—and yep. you know, how did that all start for you? And you must have started at an early age.
1: Yeah, you bet. You know, athletics and sports, uh, youth sports, was always a big part of my life growing mm-hmm. up, uh, and most notably, soccer started kind of as a knee high to a grasshopper. Played some baseball, but never really, you know, was passionate about it or felt like it was like drawing drawing mm-hmm. me in. Uh, did some swimming growing up as well, so soccer and swimming were kind of my athletic thing. So soccer definitely had the priority, and played through high school and college, and and even in high school. When at the end of high school, um, I skipped my swimming my junior year just solely to focus on soccer. Went back to it my senior year, thinking, well, it's a great way to maintain some cross training, some in mm-hmm. the aerobic capacity. So continued swimming, but soccer was always my jam, and you know, as a kid. Had dreams of being a professional soccer player and yeah. going off to play in the MLS someday and being drafted or, yeah. you know, making a team or that sort of thing. But uh, had a great time playing at a Division three school in Michigan called Albion College. And, and post-college made it to, as far as to the competitive men's beer league with a bunch of high school buddies kicking around <laughs> the soccer ball and playing in a, in a men's league, uh, which was a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And so when did you do your first triathlon? So,
1: late. Uh, I t- uh, did my first triathlon in 2000, uh, the, year, the year I turned 30. So, wow. definitely had a little bit of a later start in the sport. But well, you had swimming uh, as a background,
0: right? So, that helped a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, the years of chasing a soccer ball just really lent itself yeah. to developing that aerobic foundation and that aerobic capacity that we need as endurance athletes. I mean, interestingly, like all the years I played soccer, even in college, I really didn't enjoy running like we'd have to go out for training runs. And in college, at the beginning of the year, when we come back in the fall for training camp, there was always this, you know, two mile test, running test uh, looming over my head. And so I would spend some time at the end of the summer trying to cram train and then just, you know, totally gut myself on this two mile test to try to break 12 minutes, which at that time was a big accomplishment for me.
0: (laughs) I bet. So how long into the triathlon did you realize, like, I'm pretty good at this? I can maybe go pro or, you know, take it yep. to the next level.
1: So, you know, I raced three years as a competitive age grouper and uh, went to like USAT age group national championships mm-hmm. and never outright won my age group or won a race at a big level, but went to uh, St. Anthony's tri- triathlon in Tampa or St. Petersburg was another kind of bigger race that I traveled to when I was mm-hmm. kind of feeling this all out and felt like, You know, with my running background or with the soccer background, running definitely showed and proved proved to be my strength uh, early on, especially. And I was like, that's allowing me to have some modest success, and I really like the the personal challenge. You know, it's very different from a team sport. uh, The dynamics of triathlon, and so I felt like, you know what, I'll see if I can, you know, try and earn my pro card and. You know, one thing. Looking back on it, I think I did it too soon. I probably, you know, in hindsight, we maybe would have waited another year or two, gone to some bigger races, and had six like had some serious like breakout success at some of those bigger races. You know, as an age grouper, I raced in two uh uh, two triathlon ITU at the time World Championships short course in Edmonton one year, and then long course in Nice. And those were just amazing experiences for me as, as an athlete, you know, and as I was still developing and that kind of like planted more motivation as I was able to see the elite fields, uh, race at both those, those venues and those two, two world championships. And and that kind of was a motivation to me as well as triathlon becoming an Olympic sport in 2000. And I was involved, I was still living in Michigan at the time. And I was uh swimming with the master swim group and the our coach was Sheila Tarmina no who way. Was, part, was on that, you know, initial Olympic yeah. team and what she's just an amazing person, yeah, an incredible athlete, you know, in right. her own right across many different sports.
0: Two different Olympics. Um, so and two different it was, teams. you know,
1: that was part of the whole motivation and uh behind me wanting to try and, and pursue uh uh racing at the the next level, so to speak.
0: That's awesome. So how long did you end up racing pro? So race ended up racing 12 years,
1: uh, for which focusing mainly on long course events, you know, being an older athlete, I certainly didn't have the, the swim speed and capability to be really competitive, especially at short course races. Um, you know, I just, you know, I had a swim background, thankfully, which helped me, but Mm -hmm. I was never first out of the water. You know, I was never like even front pack swimmer, uh, when I was racing, you know, so. Yeah.
0: But you had a pretty good, your uh, PR, your PR on the Ironman was uh, nine or sub?
1: It was sub nine, 855. You know, well, I, I was always was. chasing that uh, yeah. 845 to be, you know, try We're always trying yeah. to like, you know, snip at it here and there. And, you know, once I turned 45, I, I, my body started, I could feel my body aging. And it, it mentally, when I got to that point and I was working through some some injuries and just, it just was not as fun as when I first started. And that's when I realized that, you know what? I think it's time to, to look, to go, you know, to see where triathlon can take me in a different direction, which ultimately
0: now is coaching, which has been a fantastic Yeah. So I would transition. imagine, you know, trying to, I mean, obviously trying to race at a high level is hard, um, and then do it at an, at an advanced age, advanced age. you know, being over 35, even 38, right. 40 is hard, Yeah, but 45, I mean, that's impressive. And I'm sure you learned a lot about the ins and outs of injuries and yep. things now that you can advise your athletes on like. You don't need to do that much or right. don't do that work. Don't do, you know, 50 plyo jumps or whatever the number right. is. Um, you don't need an extra speed workout because that half a percent you're going to gain is who knows what will happen, right? That, well, exactly. It's like whatever. the whole adage less is more. And I really yeah. came
1: to appreciate that as an athlete. Uh, and and certainly now as a coach is something I I encourage my athletes to to try and embrace, especially as they're getting ready for for key races in the last few weeks. You know, it's easy to get involved in the comparison game, and and with social media now, like when I first started racing, there was very little social media. Instagram wasn't even a thing, right. and now it's just like there's just twenty four seven. You could you can see what other athletes are doing, Um, but it can be very unhealthy uh to That's get agreed. sucked into the the kind of the comparison and what I view is the unhealthy, maybe negative aspects of social media.
0: Yeah, no question. No question. I I think uh, that's all right. And uh, I think a lot of us fall into that trap of comparing, you know, someone ran 10 miles, I only ran eight on a Sunday. And did I go out and do those two, you know, whatever, right? Especially with your competition. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about coaching. So, um, I think you coached a little bit in the past before triathlon. You yeah. Shopping. I mean,
1: I've been like almost a lifelong coach. I mean, yeah. once I got into high school and, and college, like I've been coaching it's in some capacity, in some form, you know, initially it was all about soccer and swimming, um, and coached high school varsity soccer, both girls and boys for a number of years. Um, and even did as part of my, uh, earning my master's in sports administration, was a was a grad assistant with a men's team at University of Michigan, which at the time was a club team, but they just, right after the year I was there, they transitioned to a varsity program. Wow. But uh, that was a great great experience. Um, so coaching has always been, you know, kind of in my blood, in my DNA, yeah. in some form and capacity. And even when I was racing triathlon starting out, I was still kind of, I was coaching on the side, you know, uh, not to the extent uh, that I am now, um, but you know, a few athletes, you know, two or three athletes, yeah, um, sure. just trying to, and 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 I learned a lot along the along the way from from those experiences, and more recently, uh, you know, coaching the CU team really helped foster and develop. I think uh,
0: my uh, coaching capabilities. Well, that's a great segue because that was my next question. Um, mm-hmm. So you coached the CU Buffs for ten years, was that right?
1: Yeah, nine and a half years, you know, the legacy that you built. Uh, so so you we had a strong few- D3 connection
0: for, that's for, right.
1: quite, for quite some time there.
0: So you won a few times there, right? Three yep. or four times. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what's your biggest takeaway with, I, let me tell you when I, I'm just going to input this a little bit. My first time I had a workout with the team, I had like 30 kids show up for a run. Yeah. And I was like, and you know, I coached swimming before, you know, 60 kids in the right. pool, but they're in a contained area, right? Like it's exactly. not a big deal. Yeah. And I got 30 kids on a run and I'm like, God, what do I do with all these kids? I mean, it was kind of crazy. So went and did hill repeats at Scott Carpenter Park and I had them running up and down until they were tired, which took a while. Yeah. And then right. I ran them back, you know, but um, yeah. it was pretty fun, uh, you know, for me getting back into that in-person coaching after a long time and not doing it. Right. What was your experience like? you know, coming on and obviously you've done some coaching, but here you are going live again, right. With, you know, a a different sport, three different sports, actually. Right. Um, you're not there for every session every week, but how did you feel in terms of, uh, you know, like what was your, what was your goal the first year in terms of just trying to put the team, you know, in some, in in some respect, put the team together and then do what you wanted to do with it.
1: Right really just learning like what is collegiate club triathlon what's the culture what's the environment what are the dynamics you know every mm-hmm. team is different obviously and CU has a strong legacy um of of uh exceptional of you know being champions and cl- collegiate club champions for many years and 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 being at the pointy end of the collegiate club racing scene and uh and I honestly didn't really know much about collegiate club triathlon when I took over the job, you know, I knew a little bit living here in Boulder, obviously you're aware of, of the CU triathlon team, but I, I was really surprised by like the wide range of experience and ability. And as a coach, like working with the team back in person, cause it'd been a while since I'd coached a team, yeah. um, you know, it's very different from coaching individual athletes. And you got to your point, 30 kids showing up at a run session, 40 to 50 kids at a swim, you know, same amount at a bike session of all different experiences and ability levels um, that was a, that was a big eye opener. And and one of the early hurdles and challenges was finding a way to, to what you did to successfully, you know, create a team dynamic and a plan that's going to cater to the wide range of experience and abilities and the needs of these athletes from, you know, those doing their first triathlon, learning how to swim, showing up on a rusty cruiser beat up mountain bike to one of the first team rides, to those who are already, you know, coming in with triathlon experience, racing at an elite level with aspirations to go off and, and race, you know, professionally perhaps. Right. And then a lot in between. So it was, uh, you know, initially it was just trying to, to build a framework and a foundation where, uh, it was, you know, everyone's going to feel like they ha- they ha- they belong to something within this, this team culture.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, um, 10 years of coaching, uh, what did you learn from the kids? Because I I always felt I'd walk away each week with something like, wow, I, you know, like a kid would say something to you honestly, and you, I would take that home and think about it and be like, wow, oh, that's that's you know pretty intuitive for a twenty year old right. or an eighteen year old to from home.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, there was always lessons learned along the way, and as I mentioned a few moments ago, that that team and that experience really helped me become a better coach for a variety of reasons. It helped me become more intuitive to, to be able to see like the body language of, of these, these student athletes and, and what they're dealing with. Not just about, it's not just about the X's and O's of triathlon. That's probably the easiest part of, of coaching a team. You know, it's, it's yeah. all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes with relationships, the academic stresses,
0: yes. just the the
1: other outside pressures that these young, you know, uh, student athletes and, and college age kids are, are under. I mean, there's tremendous pressure, uh, right. That they have to, uh, to to navigate, and so just dealing with some of that stuff outside of the you know the team planning and the X's and O's and facilitating workouts. Um, the other thing I found challenging because CU is such a unique program because of its its, its success, and you get these high level performing athletes. Mm-hmm. It goes back to striking that that healthy balance of you want to uh, the team to be competitive every year, you know, trying to on a national stage maybe earn a national title. Um, but you also have to remember that this is a club sport, right. so it's not like you can force these members to be at every single practice and, and you know take attendance and, and that sort of thing. You know, it's just, it's very different than say an NCAA sport where they're you know they have much higher a much higher level of obligation perhaps. And so I think we we manage that kind of somewhere in between. We weren't we weren't an NCAA sport we weren't like a free for all club team. We had a lot more structure and, and, and uh, you know, things built in and incentives built in. If it's someone wanted to race at nationals for us, you know, they had to earn that spot. It wasn't just a guarantee. So that, 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 that was uh, an interesting process. And, but to your point, constantly learning, you know, from these kids uh, about their experiences and what they're just studying, like, like listening to them talk about their academics and the different majors that they have, like th- I always thought like when I was in college, I don't remember hearing these kind of conversations as much. Right. I don't remember this high level of uh, majors and academics that, uh, you know, my peer group was involved in when I was playing soccer.
0: I agree. I agree. I, I remember um, when I ran cross country in college, I remember, you know, that was my peer group that I hung out with. And we would have conversations about the latest REN album or something. You know, it, was, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about what happened in stats class because no one really wanted to talk about it. Right, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, so so that's that's a good, um, that's that's a lot of good information there, and I think that you're you're coaching, you know, Olympic level athletes. That's the longest distance they did as a club right. competitively, yeah. right? So then you're also coaching, obviously, um, for D three, and you've got your own athletes that are you know long course seventy point three and Ironman. So nutrition wise, how would you you know? I know you know a lot about nutrition how would you talk to somebody about, you know, calorie intake on, you know, an Olympic distance versus 70.3 versus an sure. iron?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously as the race distance grows and gets longer, that mm-hmm. having a dialed in fueling in hydration plan becomes exponi- exponentially more important. You, can, I don't think you can fake an Olympic distance race. I mean, we, you know, coaching the CU team, this is one other thing I learned is that we had some kids who had raced, you know, junior elite level or junior program doing sprint and, and draft legal events. Mm-hmm. They go off to do their first Olympic distance race and, and really underestimate the importance of hydration and getting in some calories on the bike in particular, which just totally set them up for a hard lesson to learn uh, on that 10K run. Um, so even at the Olympic distance level, I think there's still an emphasis and, and should be an emphasis on fueling and hydration. Sprint distance, you can maybe fake it or get away with it, by just having a bottle of water or an electrolyte drink in your in your bottle. But up to Olympic distance and then certainly uh 70.3 in Ironman, that's where you have to start thinking about what not just having it on board, but like how many calories per hour and mm-hmm. what's the makeup of those calories per hour? How many grams of carbohydrate per hour? And salt supplementation, sodium supplementation, which, you know, for sprint and even Olympic distance, you may get away with not having uh, a separate sodium supplement in addition mm-hmm. to your electrolyte drink, um, salt, you know, salt supplement. But in 70.3 and Ironman racing, I think for a lot of athletes, that's another aspect to the whole fueling and hydration process.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a big puzzle, right? It's always a big yeah. puzzle. And yep. would you, uh, so, you know, it's CU, I, w- I would say the same thing. I've seen plenty of kids crash and burn, yeah. uh, due to poor nutrition or, you know, hijinks the night before or whatever. Right. But sometimes, uh, it was just lack of knowledge, right? Like they didn't yeah. know that yep. they need to take and obviously have a breakfast. Cause some of them would just show right. up and do a race, you know, if you're at Lake Harris right. or something, Yeah. Or national's a little more, a little more serious, but you know, get up and, and do the race. And then what did you have, you know, your run was, you know, there, just a minute per mile off on their pace. And you're at, you ask them what's going on. Well, I had, you know, I had a bottle of water on the bike and like, what did you have on the run? I think I had a gel like, yeah. okay, but you know, you just burned 1500 calories over that hour and 45 that you were biking and running. And you right. took in a hundred calories, you just burned 2000 calories. Like your tank is empty. Yeah, you know, I, don't, sure. I, don't, I don't care how much pizza you ate last night. Like right. you are empty. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I
1: mean, there, there's only so much you can, you know, being young and, and and healthy, you you can get away with a certain amount, but uh in racing, but uh yeah, that that nutrition and fueling is always a, a big piece to it.
0: Right. And so and then you know, if you're working with an athlete, do you typically have them write out a nutrition plan? before an Ironman or a 70.3. Just yeah. So I mean, that's part of, of the idea. whole
1: training process with those long rides and runs is like, you know, mm-hmm. all right, dial in this, this fueling and hydration plan, just like you plan to execute on race day. What is it going to be? What are you going to, what products are you going to use? Can right. you stomach Gatorade Endurance, which is which is a predominant right now product as far as electrolyte drink goes on the courses with, you know, the gels have changed over years right now. Martin's a big a big one, but you know, when I was racing, it was, it was all sorts of different things. Right. So, you know, being able to to test out. Yeah, exactly. Being able to test out if your stomach can tolerate what's going to be on the course. And if not, then you have to figure out a way to to facilitate that for yourself on your bike and then what you're going to carry on the run. So I think it's really those, you know, how I like to emphasize it with my D3 athletes uh, who are racing 70.3 and Ironman, these long course events is, it has to happen in, in the long training sessions where you're meeting the demands with temp, you know, with intervals, tempo uh, race specific intervals that you're trying to mimic the, the work rate you're gonna have on race day. Can't necessarily mimic, you know, the weather specific weather conditions, but um you know, just getting it dialed in and, and seeing, you know, finding out what products and, and then how you know the quantities, how many grams of carbohydrate per hour, that's a big, big metric that, you know, in the last few years I've really been working with. Uh, athletes on who have, you know, struggled a bit with their fueling in hydration is, is really trying to figure out, can you take 60 grams or 65? Can we keep inching that up? I mean, I have some athletes, one athlete who can take, tolerate up to 110, 120 grams wow. of carbohydrate per hour. That's
0: a huge amount. An hour, right?
1: Yeah, that's a huge amount. Now, yeah. most most people can't, you know, right. but right. it's, you know, but the athletes that, you know, have, have really uh, honed this in their, their performances are, are are reflections of that because of how good they feel uh, in the, you know, midway through the run and, and at the end of the run in particular in these long course events.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I, I kind of think about what you just said and I think about, okay, so these people have their nutrition dialed in and that equals a great race, or are they super organized and super diligent with their training They get the training in, they dial the nutrition in and they've done everything right to set themselves up for success. Yeah. So typically it's those diligent people that'll have success. And I remember one year I went through all my logs of my athletes and I actually sent them all an email and I didn't tell them who was, you know, who was who in the email. But I said, I had, you know, two athletes that did 99 percent of their workouts and one was like an all-American something and another one was like an all-world something. And I'm like, it's not by accident, right? Like right. they did all their workouts like they're supposed to. They didn't yes. overdo it. You know, it just it's, kept things, you know, the way easy days are easy, hard days are hard. Yeah. And you know, that's a,
1: right. It's that's not, another you know,
0: topic we, another we, topic. what we do as coaches really isn't rocket science, right?
1: right. I mean, you have to have a, a, you know, we're all professional have an understanding of periodization and, you know, trying to find specific nuances that work really well to help one athlete grow. Whereas you need another set of, you know, stimuli, perhaps for another another athlete, different set of stimuli. But at the end of the day, to your point, it's about, you know, hard days are hard, easy days are easy. And then being consistent with frequency over time. It's not about, you know, massive volume in short little segments here or there. It's that consistency over time that I think really bolsters the durability.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So Brad, you're uh you're well renowned for getting your athletes dialed in in terms of not only nutrition, not only the physical, but the bigger piece of it, right? It's the mental side. I mean, you can do all the training you want, but you know, if you get to that start line and you think, "Oh my god, I can't swim with 3,000 people or I can't right. swim 2 miles or uh you know, it's not a down current swim. I'm not going to make it through this." I you know, we've all encountered those athletes. Yeah. Um and I know By talking to with you with you and with your athletes, that you've done a great job on the mental side of things. What are the key things that you talk to your athletes about, and and what can I learn from you in in that respect?
1: Well, I I think you know we go back to training again, and 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 that's the 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 battleground, so to speak, where they Mm -hmm. can gain confidence and and learn to suffer and 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 or learn to be okay. You know, it's okay to you want them to be feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And so, really trying to stretch them in training without like overdoing it and overextending them. So that that's one component, you know, is is they they gain confidence and and are able to practice their mental tools and techniques while they're in the midst of those those more demanding sessions. Whether it be you know a, a thing of quick imagery before going out for a key session or race. Or positive self-talk, having some mantras. You know, one thing that I've learned in working with D3 through our mental skills coach, Will Murray, and the information he has shared with me and, and our athletes over the years are some ex- great tools and tips uh, that, that our athletes can take advantage of. And 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 I put that, uh, like I have links to some of his, his uh, triathlon minute videos that I put in my athletes' plans leading up to a, a big race and say, race visualization, 10 to 15 minutes. Check out Coach Will Murray's, uh, you know, advice on this.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. I was just talking to him last week about redoing some of those videos, and um, yeah, there, there's some good information in there. Really, really good information. And, and
1: you know, the mental side of it. You know, I, even for me as an athlete, like I knew I wasn't the the strongest cyclist, the the gift most, the fastest runner or swimmer, but but no one can control my mind. I was in control of my mind and what type of attitude or grit that I wanted to 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 have on race day and and that's one of the reasons I think I you know had some modest success in in earning some top 10 finishes wasn't be necessarily because of my my physical abilities but it was like the mental framework I had in the moment and right. I I remember I think it was 2008 in Kona uh I ran a 249 marathon and that was on that day it was fifth fifth fastest of the day now I wow. wish I had a swim and bike split that would have matched that but I didn't <laughs> But I remember just like running through the field in Kona and just going by some of these guys that were literally just, you know, much what I viewed as much more gifted physically. Athletes had more impressive resumes than I and results than I had had at that time. And just they were crumbled. You know, some of them were like on the ground line in the fetal position, just, you know, in agony. And, and it was because of poor nutrition, who knows what. But, you know, for a lot of them, I mean, I always had the mindset that I'm not going to DNF unless I physically have to. You know, and uh, and so I just kept, you know, never know what's happening up the road from you in an Ironman race in particular. And it's such a long day, and I just, you know, my my mental kind of uh, fortitude and and grit is is what allowed me to to have some success on on race day. That's awesome. And so, I, and what,
0: I, did a, what did a was it a two forty nine get you for overall? What kind? What kind of place?
1: I think that year it was thirty second or thirty third. That's awesome. You know, thirty fourth. Awesome. I should know, but over the years yeah. things things start to fade,
0: but that's awesome.
1: But I certainly didn't have that uh that you know I wasn't in that position off the bike.
0: <laughs> you didn't have I a was... 420 bike, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. That's awesome. Um okay, a couple more questions for you. So knowing that I've known you for a long time now and uh I may know a story about something that happened at Oceanside one year. Uh mm-hmm. I think it was a pro race.
1: Yeah, it was one of it, my
0: first pro races. The first yeah. pro race. Yeah, why don't you tell us that story?
1: Yeah, early on, uh, you know, when at that time it was actually called Ralph's Half Iron Man. It wasn't I even that. Same, yep. right. It wasn't it was Ralph's was a grocery store chain out there that was the chain. title sponsor of it. Um, but never had I raced Oceanside a few times and for whatever reason never had great days out there. But one year in particular, oh man, it was a kicker at the start like you know as a as a pro and a a new professional i was like i got things dialed in i know how to execute my pre-race routine and my dad was with me at this race and he was like don't you think we should kind of get moving get over to the venue and get let you get set up and i was like oh no you don't need to i got this you know i just had kind of a pretty low key uh attitude about it um and sure enough I did not allow myself enough time on race morning. I was rushed and got to the the, the swim start area, and was ha- a volunteer was trying to frantically get my wetsuit up on me. The, the pro field men were, you know, they were all warming up in the water, queuing themselves up at the start line, and the zipper got stuck. It got jammed, and so this volunteer, you know, she was trying to help out. And volunteers on race day are always, uh, you know, super super encouraging and helpful. And they they just, the volunteer and another volunteer, they just couldn't get it undone. So I had this big, giant open gap from the Whoa. top of my wetsuit to the bottom that was wide open. The horn went. I was standing on the boat ramp right near the start line area. The horn goes, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is not how you want to start a race. So I was like, I got to go. So I just went for it. And, of course, that acted like a huge drag parasail, yeah. you know, behind me, just pulling on all this water and that was a, a miserable way to start a race and and very very humbling. Uh it just I just felt like <laughs> I mean I was it was so obvious cuz I was like just standing there and the guys are going swimming away and I'm like I'm I'm going to be in no man's land this entire day.
0: Did you ever catch up to anybody on the swim?
1: Uh, I don't I don't think so. No, not on the swim <sighs> and of course, you know at that time, you know That's the so women's pro field was coming right after it and and I was just counting the number of women the faster you know, swimmers that were just blazing by me thinking, oh, I can get on their feet. And it works for a few moments. But then this yeah, I was just carrying so much water in that wetsuit. Oh, right. man. that! And so obviously to this day, I uh, for myself and my own races, I definitely allow enough time and I encourage, you know, that's one thing I encourage my athletes, you know, never you never want to feel rushed on race morning. Um, so there's a lot you can do pre- to prevent that. Some things, you know, if you get a flat on, you know, on your car driving to a race, or there's traffic, there's some things you can't control. But do what you can just to allow yourself more than enough time on race morning, because you don't want to be stressed and rushed. And I guess in the moment of that, if you do find yourself stressed and rushed, have a mental framework, uh, a mental mindset that you want to use to help get you through it, so you don't panic. Uh, you know, and have a minor freak out like i I essentially did as I was trying to get this wetsuit zipped up, which Love probably it. led to it getting all jammed,
0: yeah, did and you got it off, okay, yeah, some
1: yeah, I don't remember how we got it off, that was the other aspect to it, but yeah, I was able to get it off,
0: yeah, I mean I've seen people with the whole back duct tape because the zipper broke, and all yeah, time. like how are they getting that wetsuit off when the swim's right. over, you know, right. someone's got to have a scissor or a box cutter to get it off, right. right? Yeah, just kind of funny, but you know, in the moment, you know, you're you're very thankful that that's not happening to you, and your wetsuit works properly because you right. see that and you realize how much stress that person's going through. Right, so. for sure. I'm sorry to hear you went through that, but it makes a good story. So, yeah, you know, that's part of racing. You know, we yeah. it's it's a
1: humbling humbling journey, but uh, we learn from from these uh, these experiences.
0: Totally, totally. All right. Well, thanks for uh, being on with us. We really appreciate the time, and uh, it's been great talking to you. We'll, we'll catch yeah. you up
1: again. You bet. Thanks, Mike.
0: All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust the Process. If you have a question on anything related to triathlon, please send me an email at mike at d 3 motorsportcom we would love to hear from you. Make it a great day.